Good morning and welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early Lichtenhauer longsword glosses. I'm your host, Mike Smoridge, and joining us are our panel of Jess Finley, Stephen Cheney, TQ, and Johanna Hopfgardner. This is episode 33, where we'll be discussing lines 91 to 92 on Dirtschlaufen, or running through. Specifically, this episode will be covering the first few plays, where the, there are body wrestles against an opponent with their arms high. So what have we been up to since last week, Steve? Oh, me first. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's see. I um, uh, I started, what? Oh, Judas is not here uh, at the moment. Don't know where he's disappeared to. So, yep, you're up. No pressure. All right. I started uh, doing a weekly, uh, I guess it's going to be a run through of the Zettel, kind of like we do here. But uh, with my club on our Discord, so Ooh, that's cool. pretty much it. Sweet, uh, Jess. What have you been up to? <laughs> no pressure. Um, I have been um, still working on translating Arsvald, um, and then I've been looking at Clooney's wrestling because uh, Michael Chidister asked me how how that was interrelated to all the other wrestling and so i was trying to be like oh this one is in this this and this etc cool. you know otten tolhoff or, or whatever um is I don't the know Clooney mostly there. illustrations or does it have captions as well or text uh at least in the wrestling it's entirely just illustrations and there's no captions whatsoever so it's left to us to figure out cool nice little puzzle uh yeah. Joey, what have you been up to? Um, not much. <laughs> I I did <laughs> <Nice>. some research. <laughs> I did some research um, on Nicolaus, or I wanted to find out something about Nicolaus because I like him. Anyway, um, I found a legal text of fourteen sixty eight, uh, where uh, Nicholas, <laughs> who was apparently a master of the sword. And mm-hmm. uh, allowed to hold Fechtschur uh, in Vienna, and mm. I'm trying to, f- I'm trying to float the theory that this is our Nikolaus, um, especially since some words in his glosses have a certain Austrian or Southern German ring to them. Yeah, I would be really cool, but I was unable to find anything else apart from that legal text. So oh. I kind of failed. <laughs> How common a name is Nicholas during the period? Because, like, in <laughs> pretty common, still pretty common. <laughs> I, I I tried I tried to find him. Um, I know they also state a last name. I think it's Hirschberger or Hirschberger, and that combination I could find it. I, I think three times during that area in Vienna, but yeah. Nicholas or Nicholas by itself is like. Hans. No, okay, probably not Hans. as bad as Hans, but <laughs> pretty bad. Because yeah. it's like a, someone from England in that period being called John Edward Thomas yeah. or Richard. I like. think so. I think cool. so. And it would be really cool because, especially in that legal text, he was fighting or there was a quarrel between Nicholas and a so-called Hans von Salzburg, uh, Hans from Salzburg. And yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be Hans Miedel. <laughs> Not Sedenfeld. <Yeah. laughs> Miedel no. would be cool. Sweet. Uh, T, what have you been up to? 
No, nope, he's still muted. We've lost T. T down. Strange. All right, we'll <laughs> leave T for one moment until we uh, hear the sounds of cocktails being made again. <laughs> <laughs> Technical difficulties. Man, seances should come back in fashion. Are you there, T? Say something if you can hear us. Okay, testing, testing. Yep, now we can hear you again. Yes. Yeah, I realized what I did. I accidentally turned on push to talk. Um, anyway, uh, I haven't been doing that much stuff, although I went and did a bit of fence, modern fencing refereeing stuff with the southwest of England uh, group who are doing online refereeing training. Um, so, southwest of England? Sweet. Is yes. that like... Who's running that? I'm curious. Uh, some guy called Joseph Pierce, who I don't know, okay. but um, no, no. he's happy for me to gate crash his online refereeing stuff, so... I did. Um, uh, did a really interesting uh, session last week on uh, looking at where people are trying to make actions happen to determine if they're attacking or still planning their attack, uh, which was actually quite a useful mental framework for understanding what's happening in the belt. Cool. Uh, so looking forward to doing more of that soon, I hope. Sweet. What have I been up to? Uh, last, since we last recorded an episode... I went back to my left translation and translated uh, about half of the wrestling section because I realized that I was running out of translation for Fencing by the Book. <laughs> a little bit important. In our club, we've been doing a little bit more trying to get uh, some of the less experienced people involved in judging a little bit more, which has been pretty cool. And I... Yeah, that's about it. I haven't been sleeping much for a change. Ooh, so different to normal. Right. <laughs> yep. Joey, could you do us a favor and give us the the German rendition of lines 91 and 92? Yes. Are we just doing the first two now? Or, or the whole sequence? Uh, the whole sequence. We can copy and paste it into the next episode. Right, Steve, okay. you do all the editing. Okay, so. Durchlauf, lass hangen, mit dein Knopf, greif, willst du rangen. Wer gegen dir stärkt, durchlauf, damit merk. Thank you very much. And Steve, could you give us Hazard's translation? Pass through, hang it to the floor, have a pommel, come to grips for sure. For those who keep strong against you, always remember the passing through. Oh, that is a... A sweet half rhyme at the end there. Thanks, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is the section on Birchlaufen, uh, which is pretty universally translated as running through, isn't it? Yeah, I don't really think I've seen any other translations used by any, certainly any major publications. Um, the translation of the glosses. And our two listeners... Oh, oh yeah, passing listening. through. Passing through, cool. Yeah. Uh, both of our listeners might remember Überlaufen from a few episodes ago, which was sort of overrunning, whereas this is going through. So, our listeners might also remember Durchschwechseln, which is changing through. You good, T. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, these are the same, like, it's the same German components. Um, this is actually one of the few things I do 
one of the few reasons I still use German terms when teaching is that there are parallels which are more obvious when you keep them in German compared to when you translate them. Um, and things like Dirkschwechseln, uh, Dirkschlafen, Überlaufen, all using the same word components is one of those. Probably one of the biggest ones. Cool. And like this section is then glossed and there's a sort of two halves to the glosses, which is why we're breaking this into two episodes on wrestling. So this first one is on four different plays and they're correct me when I start saying wrong things, but they're, they're all plays when your opponent comes in with their hands high and you're able to do wrestlings at the body. That is correct to my recollection. Sweet. So I'm not going to read out the gloss here because blah, 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 too much effort. But the first one of them is uh, he parries you, drives up with the arms, runs into you, uh, as if he's, you know, that classic hands high bind. So you let go with the right hand, let the blade hang low behind you over your back, uh, run through against his right side. Your right foot goes behind and with your arm across his chest. You throw them over. Is that right? Yeah. So the first one is right foot goes behind them. Right arm goes in front of them. Maybe we can read one of them and then just uh, infer what the next three say, because they're all similar. Okay. All right, sweet. Uh, Mark, the running through and the wrestling pertain to driving against the masters like that, that like to run in and drive it thus. Remember, when he displaces you and drives up high with his arms and runs in on you and wants to overwhelm you with strength from above, and drive also up with your arms, and hold your sword over your head by the pommel with your left hand, and let the blade hang down behind over your back, and run through with your head under his arms against his right side, and leap with your right foot behind his right, and with the leap, and then drive in with your right arm against his left side and front, well around his body, and so grasp him on your right hip, and throw him in front of you on his head. Woo! So then the second one, is you step with the right foot in front and your arms go behind and you throw him. And then the third and fourth are basically left-handed versions of the same injuries. So now you keep your right hand on the sword and you use that to push their sword away. You enter with your left arm in front or behind of the body and you put your left leg on the other side of the body from your arm and bring them to your hip and throw them over. So you end up with four throws that are kind of two left, two right. In each case, the leg goes in front or behind, and the arm does the other, the other thing. And then you can do them to both sides, supposedly. Yeah. So the first thing to say would be, do we think that some of these are stronger than others? Yes, definitely. Do sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I basically agree with agree with Steve. Number one is a really simple solid throw that you'll see in a lot of uh, wrestling arts. Numbers three and four are both really simple solid throws. Number two is difficult to get a fluid interpretation of. It's pretty easy to put someone somewhat off balance, but it's difficult to make them actually go for a go for a fall um, because you just don't kind of have anything to lift them with. 
Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of it's more like a of it. number two being the number two is there you put your foot in front and you put your right arm behind and you try and pull them kind of forward over you and it's there isn't so much that you can like lift or trip them with um so it's relatively easy for them to step out of it and just kind of run off past you at least the picture the picture in glasgow for it looks like he's banking the guy with it he's about to spank the guy with a sword mm. kind of weird thank you <laughs> pictures for wrestling are always a bit dubious okay yeah um, so it's left foot in front of his right and left arm around the body uh, it's right foot in front of his right and right arm around the body and right hand yeah three and four are left Okay, I can't count. Sorry, guys. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> That's all right. This is the one which says, interestingly, in Ring Echo, that you need to watch that it does not fail you. Um, I'm pretty sure it's this one. Which one's the one that says that again? Marginal note in the Dresden, I think. Yeah, it's like there's a random marginal note on one of these four, and I believe it's this one, which maybe is because it's the most dubious of the set. I mean, it. It's worth noting just for completion's sake that that it shows up as this kind of throw in Talhofer and Auerswald and other places um, okay. as a version of what, what Auerswald calls, Auerswald labels it der Schlaufen. And the, the normal version of it that we think of is a fireman's carry up across your shoulders um, with, uh, in this case, it would be your right hand would go between their legs to get your lift from between yeah. the legs. But it's a good fix in regular wrestling if you're too tall to get underneath to do a fireman's carry across the shoulders is you can drive all the way through and go around with that right arm and throw them over your hip. Yeah. So okay. once you've got it going over the hip without the sword, then it gets easier to do with the sword. I think the biggest failing, sword or not, is if you are shorter, you will not be able to pull this throw off. This that might be my problem. <laughs> right, exactly. Because I mean, like even when I filmed it for you guys with with my son, his his hips are higher than mine, so it was very hard for me to lift him because there's nothing to lift because his hips are above mine. Yeah. So this is something you do on somebody shorter than you. Whereas yeah. with the with the other ones in this, it's easier to get somebody like levered onto your hips, even if they're like a few inches taller than you. Um, to, but the the difference in the in the mechanics here makes it a lot harder to get underneath someone properly, like get lift on someone if they're if they've got a higher hip than you, which is probably the problem I've always found with them. Um, I was wrong, by the way. It's number three, which has the marginal note about watching out for it going wrong. Ah, okay. My my best success with number two is when I don't place my foot in between their feet. I kick my leg through their feet and kind of, you know, uh, foot sweep or foot reap their their leg out, and that makes it a little easier to get them off balance. But if I just step, you're right; it's pretty hard to do. You have to you have I... to um, inner thigh to inner thigh. Bam. <laughs> my. My my best um, take of that throw was was similar. Um, 
I accidentally uh, need the guy <laughs> uh, in between mm-hmm. his legs. Um, it, w- it was really easy to throw him that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder why that was. But, <laughs> this is all about breaking but, structure, but part... isn't it? <laughs> uh, it is. It was, it was totally martial, unintended. No, it was accidentally. So when I normally do it or try to do it, I find it easiest if I let go of my sword and use my left hand to go in between the legs and lift with my leg uh, with li- well, <laughs> lift with my left hand so like in between the legs yeah. their body and flip it but so, so it, a, i've never and... yeah but it's yeah. not really they're not across my shoulders or anything they just i just throw them over my right shoulder but i do need the oh. left hand in between the legs yeah, I, I've I never done it with the sword in hand, I think. I played around with a version of this for a while where you, like, as you push them down, I'd reach with the right arm and kind of try and get it, like, under the hip and use that to lift them up a bit. Oh, yeah, and yeah, grab the works, hip. Yeah. But it's diff- really difficult to get the grip in fencing gloves. Um, oh, if like, they have, like, a principle. belt. They have oh, a yeah. belt and you can grab that, oh, yeah. then, that then that makes it easy. <laughs> you can easily do this. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like if you could hook if you can hook your glove into the, the, the rim of their jacket or something, you can get a good lift on someone off the off the bottom. Yeah. Of is there fencing in a judo gi? Well you can you can get a lot of lift off someone on a spez AP. They're really strong. You can you can put loads of force through one before they break. As long as you get yeah. a grip you can get a grip. Um, just, just be careful that they're not wearing yeah. superior fencing jackets instead. Well, I mean, a lot of the uh, the like the Spez Light and you know a lot of other Spez ones have that extra kind of belt buckle thing that you can cinch in the back, so you can grab that if you want. You can probably grab that with uh, with uh, sparring gloves or something. But anyway, what what I was going to say, so like this this kind of solves the problem that I was talking about. So you know, you have if you the problem is getting lift with this. Because mm-hmm. if you're doing a fireman's carry or that type of thing, then you have a grip, you usually have like a grip on the arm and you pull them over your back. So you're pulling them off balance forward as you're, as you're coming in to, you know, load them onto you. Um, if you just walk up to somebody who's standing upright and you put your foot in front of them and you bend down and reach around like this while they're standing upright and You've just you've just like given them you know, you're you, back you, you, you played e- easy entry you're never you're never going to be able to lift them up like that and if you try you're probably yeah. going to hurt your back so there's got to be some kind of mechanism that mm. you know gets them moving forward or like bending down i guess if they're running in at you you know if they're running forward while you do it then that action could could make that happen. Personally, I've never gotten it to work. I've never seen anybody get it to work. So I remain skeptical. One thing I do think is interesting about this one is that Ringek, when he's talking about these throws, for three of the four, he says when one runs into the other. So it's not clear specifically about who's actually making the distance collapse. You know, when one of us runs into the other, that could be I run in at you or it could be you run in at me. But for the second throw and the second throw only, he says instead when he runs in at you. Um, it, so the the setup description is very slightly different. 
But because it's so consistent for the other three, I think that's probably deliberate. Um, and it could imply that this is one that like you aren't really going to be able to make work if you're making the distance collapse. Whereas you can like you can bull rush through someone and get some of the other throws to work, sort of using your own momentum to make the balance break happen. But here you need their you need them to have momentum so that as your legs go through, they start to bend and you can actually get behind and get into them, I think is part of it. And it's there's an interesting little clue in the language in Ringek uh, to support that. Yeah. Well, I think I think part of how I do it because there's it's somewhat informed by by some of the throws. Um, there are versions of this that's the exact same thing except for backwards, right? So that you're you're grabbing around their front, but your hand is low, and you're throwing them over your over your thigh, right? And so this yeah. is the same thing. It's just you're facing. Yeah opposite instead of facing the same way but like for me i would think that you want your elbow and all this to be high and then you grab low yeah. down there to flip it over right but i agree if you reach low like yeah nothing's happening right that's a bad day for everyone so who can't see what we were just the... laughing about jess was yeah. just doing Demos of this throw on her uh, sewing dummy with her awesome Lubeck jack on it. Yeah, so, so if you, you need to imagine it's like a, a mannequin with this amazing costume on it. It's got bitchin' yes. sleeves. <gasps> it's got a. It's got armored legs oh, on got... there. It's 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 pretty damn good. So it's like the fanciest grappling dummy I've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> Easier than trying to say words is to show you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's great. Um, I think there's there's probably a discussion that Steve and I ought to sort of hash out at some point in this episode about the the place of for throws in modern sword historical fencing. Yeah, let's just dive into that right now. So uh. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm gonna like set forward a theory that I'm not sure that I believe in anymore or a position, and everybody can tell me that I'm wrong. So I'm like, I really like longsword fencing rather than say epe because of the physicality in there, because it's a, a more contactful game. And a part of that is that there's wrestling and grappling in there. And I also think that in the longsword systems, especially Lishenhauer, this, this Dirtschlaufen is a core component of that. And Hema has this kind of like chicken and the egg argument going on inside it that, well, we, we never train against wrestling or how to land safely, so we can't do it safely, so we can't do it. And so Hema wrestling sucks. Well, small martial art wrestling always sucks. Is the the sad truth of it for Hema. Was there a question in there? Question like no. should, should uh, wrestling be allowed in tournaments? Yes. Yeah, or like should should <laughs> this ever be trained in a Hema club? Okay. I have some thoughts about safe training on this, but I'll let someone talk about tournaments first. 
unless nobody does, in which case I'll have some thoughts about safe training. Um, yeah. I mean, it's 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 kind of a tough issue. I kind of feel like takedowns usually shouldn't be allowed in tournaments. Um, well, first of all, I like to point out that I like to um, clarify the distinction that I make between takedowns and grappling, because not yeah. all grappling is takedowns. Yeah, and you've got standard arm wraps and right. hilt grabs and that kind of stuff, which is not yeah. this. Right, and if you, like, so if you say, like, grappling should be illegal in tournaments, that's to me a ridiculous statement, because mm. obviously you should be able to grab swords and, like, grab people's arms and, you know, put people around and you know, wrap them up standing. Yeah. But takedowns are where it starts to, where, where the danger level starts to increase. And, you know, ultimately it depends on what, like what is the injury, what is the acceptable injury rate for, for yeah. like a long sword tournament? Because judo tournaments have much higher injury rates than long sword tournaments do. And the injuries are usually a lot more severe. So, yeah. but they're, you know, that's judo. Like they're they're throwing each other around, so they accept that they accept that risk. I think pretty much everybody at my judo club was injured at, at one point, except for me. I got lucky. My training partner broke his leg, the fibia and the tibia, when we were doing randori, and it wasn't like there was no like dangerous action going on. It was just like a freak thing. His foot got caught weird on the mat, and his leg yeah. just broke. So yeah. I think I, I totally accept that throws are inherently dangerous, but I don't think that they are out of the realm of like they're just this incredibly dangerous thing that's impossible to ever train. It, it depends on where you are in life. Like if you're a uh, 130 kilo obese person who's never done sport for the last 10 years then it's probably quite dangerous. Whereas if you're, say, training with 18-year-olds that are out playing rugby at the weekend, it's probably not that dangerous, is it? And I've, I think that Steve's argument that standing grapples are okay, whereas throws aren't, I disagree with. Because it's... Let's take standing grapples, like standing arm bars are just a recipe for either people getting joints broken or just being incredibly martially ineffective, just really badly done. And I, I'm like a... People got to be able to do them before they can be dangerous, though. That's not something we have to worry about right now. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not, I don't, I'm not a Shades of Grey guy. I'm either like, this is bullshit or this is great. And for me, a lot of standing grappling without throws goes kind of into bullshit territory where it's like, okay, I've great, vaguely got my hand on your hilt. Yep, I've given up my back. Yep, like you can just throw me into the ground right now, but you're not allowed to do that in this little game that we're playing. So, so this technique's more effective than it would be if there weren't those kind of social parameters there. 
do you mean what? more effective than it would be on the streets? Uh, that was a, a phrase that I was avoiding saying. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I mean. If this was real deadly longsword, and I was allowed to throw people onto the glass-strewn hypodermic needle-covered streets, then yeah. Um, the, the other thing that I, I cannot say is what I really do not like is clubs which are like, we do throws, but only until, you know, you you just have their weight up and they're off balance. You're not really going for throws. Because it's like, okay, so you, you're telling people, do they resist or do they not resist? Uh, when you, if, if you, everybody here has like actually done some judo or some wrestling or some wrestling at the sword. Like if, if you've got somebody with their weight off the ground, the throw isn't necessarily the most dangerous bit. The most dangerous bit might be um, them getting their foot caught, like you're mentioning with judo. So it's a, it's a sequence where people are, it's a contest. One person's trying to stop something happening. And if you never train like the end result of you lost that contest, then people don't know how to break fall. And if they do accidentally get thrown, then they're upset. And if they don't get properly thrown, then it's still incredibly dangerous, but they've never trained the consequences of that. I think. I guess this is a good segue into some thoughts about teaching practice. Um, I used to run a club where we taught regular classes. I don't anymore because my new club doesn't do classes, which is great. Um, but when we did Der Schlafen, the way we handled it was we'd take a whole month. Um, so we got more block time than any of the other 12 Hamstücke. We would, and those classes would be structured quite differently to our normal ones. We do like a lot of breakfall practice in the warm up section. We do the throws pretty slowly through all the sets, and we spent most of the throw practice training balance breaking specifically. Um, and there were a couple of reasons for that. One of them was just that I wanted people to be learning breakfalls more than I actually cared about them learning the throws. And then the second one was that because I had people who weren't amazing at breakfalls, um, I wanted them to like, you know, for every five reps, you do four where you just did the entry and the balance break, and then you do one where you completed the throw. Um, and that was a training format I stole from the judo club I was attending at the time, um, where I found it was a really effective way to increase your practice on the bit of the technique which really matters to the success of the technique. Because like, if you've got somebody off the ground or with their balance properly broken and you're in the right position, the throw itself is generally pretty easy. And all of these throws are not like complicated movements. There's not a some fine detail of like the arm position during the throw, which makes makes or break how it works. If you get to the entry, the person's going on the floor. It it just kind of happens. So like, but I'm when I say if you get the entry, that's quite important. Yeah. Like if you if you get to a position which is kind of like the entry, but you haven't broken the balance, then they are going to throw on the floor. Yeah. Um, but the once you've got the balance break, the execution of the throw itself is not the hard part of these actions. And I think that's probably intentional to this particular set of throws. They're all very easy to execute if you can get to the, the get to the right position with a good balance break on your opponent. And focusing on training that stuff one meant that people spent more time. Like they didn't have to spend reps getting back up, yeah. spend time getting back up off being thrown. They didn't take the impact of getting thrown all the time in training. Um, yeah. You know, 
they do 20 reps of entries and only get thrown four times versus doing 20, 10 reps and getting thrown 10 times. So they've done twice as many reps and feel less hurt. Um, and they were taxing their like less experienced break falling less, um, all of which I find are really helpful features of training it effectively. But you have to have a good idea of what the balance breaks you're looking for people to achieve are. Um, like what's the position you want them to get to. Um, and it needs to kind of necessarily be a moderately compliant form of training. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. Because you're not trying to blast through and actually finish it. So you have to go a little bit slower. I don't know how well that works as like a way to teach people to wrestle, although my students could do it occasionally. Um, but it worked well enough for not getting any injuries while we were teaching it um, that I was pretty happy with it as a structure. So those are some thoughts yeah. on like how to train this stuff for your, for your club. Focus on the balance break. Cover break falls a lot. Don't throw on every repetition. That's not the same thing as don't throw ever, but just mm. like you can do a lot of reps of entries for relatively few reps of throwing and get most of the benefits with a lot less of the wear and tear on your participants. Cool. Yeah, I would a wild on a Michael Chittister appears. Just had something to say there. What were you saying? I was going to say I would just I would just build onto what you're saying, T, and suggest that even if you don't plan to wrestle or teach wrestling, learn and teach backfalls, do backfalls, because or or falling in in yeah. general, because you will freaking trip. Somebody will run you back into the ropes, and something <laughs> weird will happen. Like you have to. Have, literally... I mean, it's true. <laughs> the, the best skill that you can learn in martial arts is how to fall over safer. It sounds yes. ridiculous, but I'm like, I can think of half a dozen times this year that it saved me from serious injury. <laughs> this one time yeah. I was setting up a circus yeah. tent, right? <laughs> yeah, due to um, like. And then. Sorry, I was going to say, and then no. the only other thing I would say is if, if you're planning on working. Durchlaufens, um, and and having these high amplitude falls in in your sparring, kick ass. But maybe also add the swords into all of your break falls. Like learn yeah. to break fall with a sword in your hand. Learn to throw a sword, take a forward roll over it, and not land on it, and not be freaked out by it. Just so that that you you start to understand where it is in space during these weird emotions so yeah yeah something i would do now if i was teaching again is i we would use probably foam swords or cloth and classes um because yeah, like yeah. you're less likely to get stabbed on them and they let you train with less other gear in your way and sometimes it's yeah. like it's good to practice break falling your gear if you're going to fence especially if you're going to fence tournaments or sort of throws but being able to think about what's going on in the belt without in like the your one-to-one -one training in your your training drills without having to wear masks and heavy gloves and stuff is pretty nice. Um, makes it easier to in just get used to Athena, what you're actually doing. To, in Athena, they tend to use the uh, David Rawlings swords for that, which are great for not worrying about hurting your opponent. And if you get the kind with the flexible cross, you can also fall on them with pretty safely. Yeah. We yeah, broke out fingers with Rawlings swords. Often time, so we just practice oh. with knives. 
I think my old club broke a few fingers with rolling swords, but yeah, foam swords are what I would use now. The girls really? are amazing. Yeah, you can break a finger with rollings. I've seen fingers broken with them. I think the my my key takeaway would be absolutely do train this, do train break falling, and be really really explicit about what's acceptable in your fencing because if if you know like you're, you're doing like you can throw until the balance is broken type stuff and then you come up and you fence a relative beginner in your club who maybe doesn't know like all of the the social norms about what's acceptable or not and suddenly you go for a throw they won't know that you're only trying to unbalance them they might white belt spaz out and just hurt themselves or they might be a big boy and go, oh, throwing's allowed. All right, next exchange, shoot for a double leg that you're not expecting because that's not allowed in, in your context. Random aside, why doesn't Lichtenhauer have the du- shooting for a double leg in this section? Shooting for a double leg isn't an amazing percentage action. with a... It's like 50%. Maybe. All right, shooting for a single leg. Can we maybe talk about the throws that are here first? We haven't really we talked talk about, about them. Like the bad one. Talk about the bad. All right, one. go for it. Steve. Tell me about everything oh, that's maybe. bad. Well, I guess yeah, I'm the one who brought it up. So, I mean, we can talk about like the mechanics. So we briefly touched upon um, off balancing, which I think is something that we should that we should mention a little bit more because it's absolutely necessary for any kind of throw and you need a like a kind of mechanism for unbalancing the person um in in wrestling arts like uh you know judo you can like there are a number of ways to off balance a person uh but in that case you have contact with the person you're moving around with them in sword fighting you don't really have that you kind of sword fighting and then you get a grip and you throw or at least that's how they're presented in the book. They're running in, and then you get a grip, and you immediately throw. So what is what is the off-balancing mechanism when you're doing that? Anybody so, want to pick it up or keep going? Okay, T. I was going to call out, there's a particular sentence which turns up repeatedly in these, um, which is the thing which you do between the bit where you grab them and the bit where you throw them, and that's that you secure them onto your hip. Um, and that's referenced again and again and again in all of these, uh, all four of these plays. Uh, they almost always say, you know, uh, just to quote a random ring one, um, move with the right arm in front well around his body and secure him onto your right hip like that and throw him in front of you as is pictured. So you have this idea of between grabbing them or between, between making contact with them and throwing them, doing a thing with them that puts them onto your hip. And I think that's the section where you're breaking their connection to the ground and not balancing them. So for some of the throws, that might be in the form of like putting your arm behind, putting your arm in front of them, stepping behind them, and like loading them up, so they lift up off the ground a bit and end up loaded on your hips. At which point, it's a lot easier to throw someone. Um, this is like some judo throws. Um, in others, it might be pulling them in and kind of lifting their hips up and like hooking them up in the second play. In the fourth play, which is left arm in front, left leg behind, is that the right order? Uh, behind. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, that is the fourth play. Um, the like 
the way I do it is a little bit different. And instead of so much pulling them onto my hip, it's like crashing my hip into them while putting one leg behind and pushing one arm through their torso. And again, that serves the, the purpose of taking their body and like pushing it off balance, locking it off balance by having it pinned against a, my lower body at one angle and my upper body at a different. But they all have like, they all have this instruction to secure them onto your hip, which I think is the balance of the throw or should be understood as the bit where you do the balance break. Let me let me uh, kind of put it another way. Um, in judo, there's there's four phases of the throw. There's uh, grip fighting, which is where you try to like establish a good grip. There's uh, kazushi off balancing, which is where you off balance the person. And then the next step is uh, getting into position. Atsukuri is what it looks like it says, and executing the throw is kake is after you're in position. Usually there's a bit of the, of off-balancing that you have to do before you get into position to do the throw. If they're if you try to get into position and they're still like um and they're not off-balanced, then they'll just counter you because as you get into position you have to move and you know just get duplexed or you know, whatever. <laughs> do you want to say something, Jess? I have a thought. Um my I'm with you on what you're saying on that, Steve. And and my read on these is that it's when you release the pressure of the bind, right? For the first two, right? Because you're running into snail sex or whatever, right? Where strong against strong. And then <laughs> <What>? when <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then when you when you release that, right? When you release that. <laughs> Particularly for that first one, it's or, or for the second one, the one that that everybody hates, it, the release is what off balances them. Okay, so then three and four, because of the instructions in Danzig, the way I read those is that he he says that he's 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 running or pushing whatever the word is towards your right side. So I don't think those are two people going into cron, I think that's somebody with a strong overbind rushing in. And so now this is why the left is available to you. You're gonna hook over, make them stay over there. And so it's in effect, when you, when you clear their sword, their sword's already there. So what you're actually saying is come harder in the direction you were already wanting to go. And then from there you work, right? And so you have a forward and a back because of course, when you release, as you know, Steve, right? Like once you begin the off balance, they can react by getting harder or getting softer, right? Like they, they're going to come in or they're going to leave and then you go forward or back, right? So that's, that's the way I see this little system. And that's, to me, it's a very complex, little, complete, beautiful, gorgeous system in these four throws. Uh um, I, I would like to add to that that in addition to that idea for the back the back throws, which are um, one and four, I think, where you're throwing them backwards, you can also do them kind of as like a clothesline idea. So um, I think um, Aikido has has a throw like that where they're running in at you and you just put your arm and bam on the ground, and that'll definitely land on the, them on their head. Can I say though, 
can I say though, I once like had a beautiful entry moment against somebody that's probably like Mike Smallridge's size. And I was like, I got this. And I hit him so hard with my clothesline that I knocked myself off my own feet. Like my own feet went out from under me, like, you know, Bugs Bunny style. And I landed on my own back while he stood there like, I mean, good try. <laughs> I'd like to, uh, I think this is a beautiful little segue into uh, a point that probably anybody that's listening to this who does martial arts or combat sports is aware of which is that as important as technique is being bigger and stronger is nice <laughs> and it is such a big advantage actually like it, it depends on the sport so like in in wrestling the ideal build is like you're five foot high you weigh 110 kilograms and you have a six foot reach with your arms to grab those legs <laughs> like but uh but I, I, I've come across lately in the last couple of months a lot of people who are just like, no, being bigger and stronger isn't an advantage. It's all technique and skill, which... I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I find a lot more tall people who say the height and like build doesn't matter than short people who say that. Yes, I wonder why. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Every time there's a threat totally about height. Can... My skill. Yeah. Every time there's a threat about height and fencing, some guy turns up who's like, I'm six foot four and height doesn't matter. And you're like, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw a thread on Reddit or Facebook or something when it was like, someone asked if height was an advantage. And um, some, and uh, a, a tall person was like, I'm really tall. And sometimes being short can be an advantage. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite my favorite is watching tournament matches when two people who are over six feet or two meters fence each other for the first time and they just look so confused because suddenly the reach <laughs> equals out and they're like, I don't know how to, I've never met anyone that tells me before. How do I fight this person? Yeah. What? I feel that way about Whenever I get to fence uh, Joe Lilly, that's, that's how it shows up. He's like, I think five six and I'm five. No, sorry, six six. Uh, I think he's six six and I'm six five. It's always fun. I was going to mention Joe Lilly as I think the tallest single person I've ever fenced. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> it is a problem trying to deal with him. Just the donut of death is so big. Uh, but yes, it's definitely true that weight and power are relevant in wrestling. And and also when it comes to attributes, like getting stronger is something that everybody can work on and being strong is not a disadvantage in life in general. And if we we're going to talk about like steps that you can take to help to protect yourself in wrestling, then learning to break falls definitely way up there, but also having enough muscle to help to protect your joints and your neck and things is also good. Um, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Speaking just of tournament rules briefly, it's worth mentioning that in a lot of bits I've seen about Fetchula rules, uh, mm. running in is normally banned. Um, yeah. So Sweet. clearly it is totally possible to have a long sword tournament without any wrestling. Um, yeah. um, I'm, I'm not against 
I think that also if you're going to go to a tournament, read the rules and discover in terms of wrestling what's acceptable and what isn't. And if somebody gets thrown, don't post a video on the internet whinging about it because you didn't read the rule book. Also, if you haven't wrestled and you decide to go off to Poland, and I don't know even if Jan's still fencing anymore, but be prepared for the fact that throws might occur if you visit other scenes. Um, and I think that to get on my high horse one second, this is one of the big failings of the UK scene when I was last over there, was that it doesn't prepare people to go and play at the next level. Um, and also, Rose I really... in the UK. A lot of UK tournaments don't allow throws. Don't allow throws. Okay. So, I, when I last ran a comp in the UK, I had an open format and then a mini Champions League. And I was like, in the open format, no throws because people won't be prepared to deal with them. In the Champions League, like everybody's expected to be a big boy, um, they're allowed. And there were some throws and nobody got hurt. On the other hand, Paris, sportiest of sports humor with their delicious right of way, throws a okay. <laughs> and they actually had a, a rule set whereby if you got like body contact, like limb to torso, then that was now a wrestling. And to score that situation, you had to get a throw or to break away to use a blade action. So it made clear that like you are now in wrestling and this is a wrestling mini game that you have to win. You can't like do the typical get into a wrestling situation and then rub the flat of your blade against them and hope that the judge will call halt. Um, and that's why like uh, there's the art of fencing Facebook that had, was like one of the few places that did in-depth uh, long sword analysis using their, their sweet humanness and they have some sweet throws there's um, one uh, one French guy in particular whose name escapes me right now because it's really early in the morning god damn but he's a, a dancer and he's got these really really good um, shooting for a takedown there's a beautiful photo of him where he's shooting for a double leg and his hands have come out of his gloves as he pulled back to shoot, so his gloves and the sword are still suspended in midair while his arms are going for it. It is brilliant. I'm going to have to look it up. I think it might be a, a guillam, but yeah. There's a lot of those in France. Um, I hate the uh, sawing thing that people do. They'll try to saw on somebody when like, they're in grappling or whatever. When people do it, and I hate when judges score it as a valid point. This was one of my pet peeves. Yeah, the point of that. Would hurt if it was a sword. Sorry? I said I bet that would hurt if it was a sword. But that doesn't mean that I like to see it or <laughs> I want it to be a point. <laughs> I know. I'm just... Is that better or worse than the shitty pommel strikes to the back of the head that we see in that same situation? I just card those big time. Yeah. yeah. Not to the back of the head, but a pommel is actually something that is fine that if you threaten a pommel then that's something that i would score or if you go like this and you know line up a stab people can't see what i'm doing i'm, I'm holding a sword and half sword and yeah the point about being aware especially if you're traveling um, which obviously isn't a thing anyone is doing right now but is totally a thing people should do once it becomes possible again 
um, be aware what the fencing culture of the scene you're going to is and what its view on throws and takedowns are and so on. I remember when I went to IGX last year and competed in Monsword that I looked at some of the people in my pool and specifically planned how I would deal with them trying to wrestle me because I figured it was a possibility. And mostly Luke Maurer didn't wipe the floor with me in wrestling, so that was okay. They had a 10 count on stalling, so I could stall him out. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't I wrestle think, him, but... <laughs> I think there's also that bit of feedback with anybody who's organizing a tournament ever, which is look at the rule set that you've come up with and try to understand how somebody could abuse or break or use those rules in a way that you're not expecting. Oof. Yeah, that's a very important part of tournament design. Uh, Guillaume Lins was the person anyway. Um, and let's say that you you have a rule set that encourages afterblows, and you can score with a with a grapple with a throw. Then what you're saying to some hick is ignore the pretend sword fight of the game. Just go wrestle. And um, and if you get somebody that's then playing that game, it's not their fault. They're not being a brute. They're just playing the game that's been outlined. It's a fault of the organizers. All right. Has anybody got anything else to add, or shall we wrap up? It's been nearly an hour. Oh, yeah. Also, hi, Mike. What have you been up to in the last week? Hey, sorry I was late, guys. I had Discord closed and forgot what day it was. And then I thought, <laughs> I'll see what's happening on Discord today, and opened it up, and there was a podcast happening. All the same. <laughs> that's all right. So... <laughs> I have spent, in particular, the last 48 hours feverishly going and doing paperwork for these stupid facsimiles. And mm. in particular, we've got a really cool thing happening where we're going to try and do gold ink on the crowns and garters, since we're doing Fiore. Um, so it's not like as the current model has all of the gold printed on it. So it looks fine. I mean, it's a totally good print. But adding the gold ink will make it more flashy and more specialer and it's going to be fairly pricey the binder finally got back to me with a quote on that and it was like 170 dollars to do gold on top of and silver ink on top of the cost of the book itself yeah so basically I saw 170 dollars and i was like yeah yeah i can waste that on shiny things yeah so for <laughs> twice the price you can get one that has gold effects all over it um which is going to look really nice but it means i have to suddenly do a second whole payment cycle and i discovered exciting things about paypal as i'm going through this that make me unhappy um but that's what hey, i was hey, doing man, right before i joined this podcast what how, how else are we going to afford to put cars in space right exactly apparently if you make more than five thousand dollars in a month they just keep the rest of it for a certain amount of time and say you can't have this yet so Ooh. i got an email today saying you're very close to your five thousand dollar limit you can request an increase in the limit once a month. So I went and requested one, and they said no. Um, so it's still $5,000. Yeah, I don't understand how that process was supposed to work, but I, I think three or four weeks, they'll release the rest of the money. Um, and since getting the minimum number of orders to make this gold ink thing happen will cost $10,000, I'm going to vastly exceed their arbitrary limits. Uh, but it's going to be exciting if it happens. I think that's basically all that I've been doing this week. I also have a giant stack of Talhafer facsimiles um, in my living room that I need to pack and ship eventually. 
It's not as giant as some stacks I've had. This is only like 40 or 50, but it's a lot still. Hey, the perils of running your own small business. If you have to do all the admin. What? I was asking, I was going to ask, do you think that the uh, Fiori paper will accept me doing my own gold and silver leaf? Or do you have it so I, lacquered that it won't work? What do you think? I don't know. Before this came up, I was planning on doing gold leafing myself to my copy as well. I uh, know I talked to Bill Grandy and he was too. So it's possible, but there is a whole lot of ink on there. So I think it might depend on what kind of glue you can use. Um, I'm gonna. I'm planning on trying it out with another copy that I have for Wigton Hour, just to see what happens. Since I am not going to spend a ton of extra money on Wigton Hour prize books for this, I decided. Um, but I think it'll depend a lot on the material properties of the paper and the ink. And I, I have no way of knowing yet. It would be a cool project, though. Jess, you're on mute. I can see you making faces. I was just gonna say I'm totally gonna try. <laughs> Sweet. Me too. Well, keep us posted in three months. <laughs> when we're still doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we wrap things up? Uh, so next week we're going to do the other wrestlings at the sword, which are like the, the arm wraps and the hilt grabs and all that kind of stuff. And we'll talk less about how dangerous throws are and I'll whinge more about things that I don't like about those plays. As they're done right, we'll talk more about how dangerous standing arm bars are. I'm sure it'll balance right out. Yeah. They're not nearly <laughs> as good as Fiore's. Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, mate. We can talk about how Lishenhau is more grapply than Fiore, and it's just that Fiore doesn't have any <laughs> real fencing in there, which is why Fiore people think they're so grapply. <laughs> I, I, think, I think the actual argument I was making is Lichtenauer's <laughs> wrestling are so damn complicated and require so many movements that they don't, they're not nearly as sensible. Fiori uses simpler versions of them that can actually be used in a fight. Uh, They're we'll see. Coming next week for more spicy hot takes. Yeah, go to Fun Bauman for all the good um, KDF, for all the good RDL uh, wrestlings. Which are... <laughs> Alright. Well, thank you very much for everybody to listen to Fencing by the Book. I've been your host, Mike Smorridge, and joining us this week have been Jess Finney, Johanna Hopfgardner, briefly Michael Chidester, Stephen Cheney, and TQ. Thank you for listening.